Well, good evening, folks. If you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, because you'll need it tonight, and you need to turn to Colossians chapter 1. We'll be studying together Colossians chapter 1. Make it sound like we'll study the whole chapter. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Colossians chapter 1, and tonight we'll be starting in verse 9. Over the last three days, I've had the joy and the privilege of, of studying this passage and preparing this sermon uh, with a couple of young men who are preparing for the ministry. Uh, Corey Fox, down here in the front, is a, is a student at ETSU, and he, I met him through the BCM, which is a ministry that we support in a number of ways, financially, and we take food down there, uh, I think a couple times a year, uh, and feed, feed some college students. It's a chance for, for them to grow their ministry and share the gospel. Um, but, uh, but Corey is uh, being called by the Lord to, to go this summer and take the gospel uh, to Southeast Asia with the International Mission board. And so uh, it's been a joy to get to know him and to work with him. Uh, he doesn't know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, but uh, he's, he's praying that the Lord would provide funds for him to go. So if, uh, if the Lord's laying that on your heart, you can come talk to me or him afterwards and, and we'll, uh, we'll get that in the right place. Uh, I've also had the chance to work with Cole, who is a ministry associate. Is that the right title? That's a, you need a better title than that. The, he's, uh, he's on staff down at the BCM, uh, serves there with, with Jonathan, and he's also a seminary student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's studying biblical counseling. Uh, but both of these guys feel called by God to, to minister in, in some way, and so they have spent the last three days uh, in a grueling schedule with me, uh, learning how to study the scriptures and to exegete them and to prepare prepare uh, to prepare sermons. So they've worked really hard and um, I'm really proud of them. They've done some excellent work. And so some of the thoughts you hear tonight are not mine, they're theirs. But I'm going to steal them and say them like they're mine and you won't know which is which, right? Uh, but but I, really am, I really am thankful for them. So I've asked Cole to come tonight and to read, uh, read our passage, which is Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from, to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that you have preserved your word for us and given it to us. And so now we pray that you would activate it by your spirit in our hearts as we consider it. Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so, Father, would you please increase our faith? Perhaps even tonight you would give birth to new faith in someone's heart. And Lord, we pray that we would be strengthened. So, Lord, we need you to do that. That's not a human task. That's a spiritual task. We're pleading. 
work by your spirit. Father, I, I ask humbly that my words would fall to the ground, blow away and be forgotten. Because no man needs to hear from another man. We need to hear from you, from God. So, Father, please let your word bear fruit in our hearts. And let Christ get all the glory for all that takes place. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, last week we continued our study in Colossians, looking at verses 3 through 8. And we saw last week, as we were trying to get our heads around, was anybody missing Samuel a little bit? When it's like just real simple, real interesting, real creative. And then Paul's like, (laughs) you've read Paul, right? He's difficult to understand at times. And so we were trying to untangle that big sentence. And, And as we did, we began to realize that Paul who's writing to this church that he, had, that he had never been to. He was praising God for growth. He was praising God for growth. He had heard about it in the lives of this church there at Colossae. He had heard specifically, I hope you remember, how the hope of the gospel was producing fruit in their lives. It was changing them. It was working in them. And that as they came to consider the content of the gospel, it was having the effect of causing them to grow, specifically their faith and and their love was growing. And you remember Paul was giving God the credit for this growth. Isn't that neat to think about? That Paul saw growth in another Christian and he praised God for it because God is responsible for the growth and God is the only one worthy of glory. But at the same time, Paul was encouraging them. He was encouraging them in their progress. That's a word that's going to ring in our ears tonight. In verses 9 through 14, Paul is continuing, almost in one sentence, not not really, but Paul is continuing this same train of thought by telling believers how or that he was praying for them, but then he specified how and what he was praying for them, all right? Just like last week, we will see that we can learn a great deal about how to live the Christian life based on how Paul was describing his prayer. You, you tracking me? These ideas are different than Samuel, right? We got to think really carefully. He's telling them how they can grow as he describes the way that he prays for them. Now remember, Paul had never met the Colossians, and yet he was taking an incredible amount of interest in their spiritual growth. Why do you think that is? Why would Paul be concerned that another Christian in another place that he has not met is growing? Why not just that they're saved? Well, I think it's because Paul was obsessed was seeing Christ glorified. And Christian growth is a way that Christ gets glory. That's what we're going to see tonight. Tonight we're going to see that growing in Christ, growing as a Christian, is inseparable, it's inseparably connected to the glory of Christ. To people seeing that Christ is great. Now, we know that Paul can be hard to understand sometimes. The Bible even says so, 
right? I know the ladies studying Romans uh, on Sunday nights and Tuesday uh, afternoons have probably found themselves saying, Paul is hard to understand here in Romans chapter 11. He can be hard to understand sometimes. But that's not because he's a bad communicator, but because he's talking about incredibly glorious things. If I was, to, if I was going to try to describe like a rocket ship to you, because of how little I know about rocket ships, I'd be like, you see that tall thing there and like that little circle thing there and the buttons there, right? Because I don't know the technical language. I couldn't describe it well. Paul is using rich, complex language because he's describing a rich, complex, infinitely glorious God. And so it's up to us to engage our minds and to try to, try to understand. We can be confident that we can understand Paul because we're not just left on our own. You don't have to just be really smart. You don't have to study all day. Or you don't have to do what these guys are doing, right? But if you have the Spirit of God. Because God has promised us by His Spirit that He will illuminate our, the Bible for us. And so that's why we pray the way that we do, to understand that. So let me go ahead and give you the main idea for this passage this evening, and then you can try to uh, see it and get your mind around it as, this, as we work through this text. The main idea is this. Listen carefully. Growth happens as we come to know and treasure the glory of Christ more and more. Growth happens as we come to know and treasure the glory of Christ more and more. Or you could put it like this. As you come to see the preeminence of Christ more and more, that's how you grow. If you see Christ to be more beautiful tomorrow than you do today, you will have grown. See? As you come to see that Christ is better and more beautiful and more supreme, you will grow. That's one of the main themes in Colossians. And spiritual maturity, which is something we all desire, it is a result of knowing Jesus better. And knowing that he's better than anything. It's not just enough to know about him, but to know him, that he's better than anything. So I realize that's a complex idea, so let me try to describe it with an illustration. Anyone here seen the show Downton Abbey? <laughs> you all have seen it. Just admit it to me. Right? Some of you are shaking your heads. You need to go home tonight, and you need to find it, and you need to start watching it. And if you're a guy, just don't tell anybody, right? It's no problem, right? Downton in Downton Abbey, if you haven't seen it, that's okay, right? It's a British TV show that uh, tells the stories of, of the lives of this great, really wealthy, aristocratic family, uh, the Crawley family. And it's not just the Crawley family, but it's also the domestic servants that serve in this massive house. This is, a, this is a in, set in, in Great Britain around the time the Titanic sank, if it gives you an idea. And we Americans are we're fascinated by this and the absurd wealth and the, the elaborate lifestyle and the obnoxious luxury that the, the British nobility, especially these noble families, the way that they lived... Even the way that they are served, 
right? They didn't dress themselves. They certainly didn't put food on their plates, right? And so the show is, is capturing, capturing this. And especially notes that, that there's this massive staff of domestic servants that, that are serving the family. Now the whole house is, is run by this top servant who's known as the butler, right? And in the show, this is a man by the name of Carson, Carson, you might remember Carson. Carson has served the, the noble family for his entire working life and is, and is deeply loyal. He's almost infatuated with the family. He almost can't see even when they do wrong. He's been with the family through, through thick and thin. He was there for the births of all the children even though they're, they're grown. And unlike some of the other servants, Carson has no problem serving in an incredibly sacrificial way. Because he was totally convinced that the Crawley family was an excellent family. He had no problem devoting his life and and staking his honor on the way he served the family because he was convinced that they were excellent. He took tremendous pride, almost compulsive pride in serving them. Not just because that's what he was paid to do or what he was supposed to do, but because in his eyes it made sense. The Earl of Grantham... The, the head of the household, and his wife and their children, they, they deserved the highest honor and the greatest service, not just because they were nobility, but because they were noble in Carson's eyes. And he happily devoted his entire life to serving them. That is the picture that Paul gives us of Christian maturity. We grow not primarily because of our discipline, not primarily because of our effort, not primarily because of our knowledge, not primarily because of our goodness. Instead, we grow as we become more and more convinced that Jesus is beautiful and that he's worth it. Have you met a Christian like that? That's different than the stuffy old churchman who's frustrated with everybody. A man or a woman who is infatuated with the beauty of Christ. That's when they say, like the great missionary said, I didn't make a sacrifice. When you see that Christ is beautiful, you grow. You grow. Our personal vision of Christ, or as Paul puts it in this text, the language he uses is the knowledge of God, there in verse 10. Our personal knowledge and experience of God, that is what stimulates growth. Just like Carson, the butler, our lives gradually transform to serve and to center around whatever it is or whomever it is we worship. You serve whatever is most valuable to you. You worship whatever is most precious to you. It might be your children. You might worship your children. It might be your body. It might be your IRA. It might be what people think of you. You serve what is most precious to you. And that, for the Christian, must be God. Okay, so now I've said it, so let's see if it's actually here in the text. Let's see if we can sort through this, because Paul's got lots of big words and smashed together with lots of punctuation. So let's see if we can, we can sort through this. I realized yesterday afternoon that we're not going to get through this whole text tonight. So we'll focus on uh, verses 9 through 12a, and then we'll pick up the rest uh, next week. But we can understand chapter, uh, verses 9 through 12 of, as having two major parts. 
Part one would be Paul telling us what he's praying for the church. And he's praying, the answer is that he's praying that they would grow or be filled with the knowledge of God. So what he's praying. The second thing he does is he describes what that knowledge practically looks like. And so we'll see later four elements of a life that please God. So what Paul is praying, which is knowledge, and then what that knowledge looks like when you get it. So let's start with, with the content of the prayer, the knowledge. At the first glance at this passage, uh, for me it took about a hundred glances before I made much sense of this, it may look like Paul's praying for like 50 zillion things, right? A bunch of good stuff. Knowledge and, and growth and fruitfulness and uh, endurance and patience and joy. Like, it's just like all this, like just all the fruit of the Spirit, just throw them in there, shake them up, all right? And that's, that's what he's praying for. As, at first glance, that's what, it, that's what it seems like. But we think, all right, I'll blame it on these guys too. We think that the central request in Paul's prayer is for knowledge, You see that right there at the beginning of the text, that knowledge is the interpretive key of this text. The word appears twice there in verse 9 where he says he's praying that the Colossians would be filled, which is a central idea in Colossians, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then there again in verse 10 that, that we would be increasing in knowledge of God. Okay, now... We learn a couple things about about this knowledge. First of all, and this is so, you got to track with this to to get the whole point of the sermon, that this knowledge is experiential, right? This This is not just a bunch of facts about God, but that this is experiential knowledge. That phrase there in verse 9, being filled with the knowledge of his will. Very often, we in our Christian culture, we think of God's will as his super specific kind of secret, unless you're, you know, like a good, like a really good Christian person, right? This kind of secret plan or direction that he has for all the big important decisions of your life, right? Like, not, not so much the small stuff, but the big stuff. Like, who do you marry? Where do you go to college, right? Should you take this new job, uh, Should you tie to the church, right? Big decisions, things like that. But I think what Paul has in mind here is much, much more broad than that. Much more broad. I think Paul is instead referring to the knowledge of God's will, or God's will as God's will for the world through Christ. Tracking, Tracking with me? God's knowledge of God's will is understanding what God intends for the world through Christ. God sent Christ in the world. That changes everything. That they would have knowledge of what that means. That really clicked for me. If you look over in chapter 1, verse 25... Uh, verse 25, Paul is speaking of, of the word of God being fully known. That word being fully known in Christ. Specifically, he says, the mystery, which is how great are the riches of the glory of Christ. I think God's will is referring to understanding this mystery. Understanding who Jesus is, and not just what that means for your eternal destination, but what that means for the world. How well do you understand the implications that Christ has died for you. 
How fully do you understand this? If you understood him fully, you would not sin ever, right? How fully have you gotten that into your heart? You see, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will is to have an increasing understanding of who Jesus is and how this revelation of Jesus changes everything. How it sets the whole course of history. Friends, the most important thing that you can ever do in your life is not discovering where God wants you to work, not discovering who God wants you to marry or if he wants you to stay married or whatever like that, but it's to understand that the only way to know God, the only way to relate to God is through a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about just praying a prayer. I'm not just talking about raising your hand. I'm talking about a personal knowledge of God through Christ. You begin with, as we see here in verses 13 and 14, to understand what Christ has done to give us access to God the Father through the forgiveness of sins. That is the most important thing. Knowledge of God. Knowing God. When you see the word knowledge tonight, think knowing, right? Knowing God. That feels much more relational. Or experiencing God begins with knowing Christ. With knowing God through Christ, right? Jesus is what? The way and the truth and the life. And no one can know the Father except through Christ. Friends, if you're here tonight, I know you hear me do this often, but I I don't think we can do it enough. If you're here tonight and you've not yet turned away from your sins, from what you think is beautiful sin, to the beauty of Christ, you cannot know God. So why not turn tonight? Why not turn from your sin? You can't experience true happiness in sin. And you can't experience the fruitful life that God intends. So turn from your sin. Place your hope in Christ right now. Perhaps God would do that tonight. You see, it's not enough to know about God. You can know about God and that knowledge do nothing but damn you to hell. We're judged for our knowledge. It's not enough to know about God. It's you have to know him through Christ. Paul is praying that they would, exper- they would have experiential knowledge of God through Christ. There are some folks who They wear the label of Christian, yet they have experienced little or perhaps nothing of God through Christ. And they're not Christians. So Paul is praying for these believers that they would have experiential knowledge of God through Christ. But you also notice that this type of knowledge he's praying about is intensely practical. This is not just like theological weird stuff, right? This is not just flying over our heads. We can't understand it. This is intensely practical. And there's so many clues here that Paul sees knowing God as being really practical. Let's look quickly just for a sampling of them. Look down there at the end of verse 9 where Paul is qualifying how he wants us to know this will. He says that it is in or perhaps through spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, that, those two words, spiritual or wisdom and understanding, should be taken together as a pair, and they make us think of Proverbs. 
right? They make us think of, of the wisdom that we see in the Proverbs, where we learn that true wisdom, if you really want to live a good life, it, what, begins with fearing God. To fear God is the beginning of wisdom, practical wisdom for how to live. You want to know how to live practically? You want to know how to live the good life? It begins with knowing God, who guides us by his spirit. That's what that word spiritual wisdom means. It's, 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 it's worked out by the spirit. He shows us. Another one is that the next phrase shows us what the point of this wisdom is. It's so that we would be enabled to walk in a certain way. Do you see that in the text? Don't take it from me. You take it from me, you'll go home, you'll forget it. Look in the book. You'll see it there. Those words will be there tomorrow. I may not be. <laughs> Who cares, right? It's in the book, right? You see it there? It enables us to walk or to live in a certain way. Now, okay, now let's, think if we, let's see if we can see this together so we don't get lost in the weeds. Paul is praying that the Colossians would truly know God, right? How do you know God? Through Christ. And that knowledge is practical, especially in that it affects how you live. If you claim to know God and it does not show up in your life, you do not know God. Knowing God changes how you live. This spiritual wisdom, or as the NIV translates it, the wisdom that the Spirit gives, is God working in our hearts to help us to see Christ is glorious. So that it would affect how we have our sex lives and our money lives. It would affect the way we have relationships and the way we deal with conflict. Because when we see that Christ is glorious, it changes everything. It helps us see what Jesus means for the world. Do you see why this is so connected to, to Christian growth? Because none of us are here yet. None of us sees Christ as glorious as he really is. So we need to grow. Let's remember the context here. You remember that uh, in verses 3 through 8, Paul has been praising God for growth in these Christians. But then here in 9 through 14, he's, he's kind of turning the corner and saying, how about some more? <laughs> he's like, look at all this growth, verses 3 through 8. And then in 9 through 14, he's like, you need to grow much more. Do you see? Isn't that interesting? There in verse 10, he's even praying that, that these Christians would be increasing in the knowledge of God. However much you know, not enough. More. He's praying for more. Some fruit is not enough fruit. You catch that? Some obedience is not enough obedience. God desires maximum fruitfulness and deserves total submission. You see, this is totally connected to the theme of Colossians. As we've already seen, as we'll continue to see, that, that since Christ is God, that since he is before all things, and since in him all things hold together, that in everything he is preeminent, and since he has died, and since he has risen from the dead, we must grow. Because he's preeminent. He is first. He deserves it. Who here loves Christ enough? Who here submits to him enough? Who here honors him enough? Who here loves him fully? We need to grow. 
We need to see the Christ of the Colossians, the one who is first, the one who is before all things, the one through whom and for whom everything has been created. And oh, by the way, he's holding it all together. He deserves it. So you remember our main idea of the text. Our main idea is that growth happens as we come to know and treasure the glory of Christ more and more. So let's, hopefully you see that now. So let's ask, what does this look like? What does this look like? Well, just as we saw last week, Paul's prayer actually, or he's talking about his prayer. He's telling the content of his prayer. It actually reveals to us again how we can grow. How we could grow. Paul is very good at understanding Christian transformation. He's very good at discipling. He knows how Christians grow. So we can learn from him. So let's take a look here. We will see in his prayer four elements of a life that pleases God. 